Hi there, this is the Value Through Vulnerability host, Gary Turner. Thanks for joining this podcast. Uh, today, I had the absolute pleasure of welcoming Mark Gilroy, who is the Managing Director of TMS Development International Limited. Mark and I have been in contact for probably about the last couple of years um, across social media. We've not had so many interactions by phone or, or over a virtual conference. But today, I knew it was going to be a good chat, but my God, he's actually blown me away with the, the insight his energy and his passion around um, working in the in the sphere of people and leadership. Some of the other things that I, I found really fascinating was actually he's worked at the same organisation now for 15 years, straight out of his university. Uh, the degree he did in psychology. I think that says, and also as a massive testament to him as someone that continuously grows. Clearly, he's challenging the status quo. He's crafted his way around the business, which really makes me think of the work of uh, Rob Baker and and Rich Cooper, and. I just found it really fascinating how we segued between the key themes of this podcast, which are vulnerability, inclusion, self-awareness, and of course, mindset. But we touched on things in quite some depth around coaching, around leadership, uh, and also around social media. And yeah, I've listened back to this podcast and really, really enjoyed it. You know, I just, yeah, absolutely blown away. And I think this, this idea that he came up with, or we came up with around the, the inclusion ladder, you know, how do you actually start with, um, almost acceptance or acknowledgement of where we're at and then build from there. It's definitely something that we're not doing enough as a society and world of work right now. So yeah, do dive in. I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast. As always, always very grateful for any reviews that you may um, be kind enough to put onto iTunes. The podcast is Value Through Vulnerability and please do offer feedback to Mark or myself and uh, we look forward to hearing how you found it. All the very best for now. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This morning, I'm really excited to welcome Mark Gilroy to the podcast. Hi, morning, Mark. Good morning, Gary. Good to be here. Thank you very much. And how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. I'm, we're based in York and uh, here in York, beautiful blue skies, perfect wintry day, all the trees are turning uh, in, into sort of their autumn shades and yeah, it's my favourite time of year. Brilliant, I'm completely with you on that. I love the word autumnal, I don't know why. Mm. <laughs> Do you mind giving an introduction to anyone that may not know you yet, Mark? Uh, give a bit of a, uh, what's your background, what are you passionate about and uh, what do you do for work? Yeah, of course. Um, so my background is psychology. Um, for those that follow me on Twitter, I'm, I'm that Mark Gilroy. And I think the first thing that's on there in my bio is psychology geek. And that's something that's remained uh, true for you know, the last 15 years or so. So yeah, my background is psychology, specifically organizational psychology um, and the behavior of, of groups and of teams. And so for the last 15 years, I've been working with um, leaders and teams from a whole variety of different cultures, industries, and um, professions. Um, so as well as uh, getting involved with teams as a facilitator and, and developer, I'm an executive coach and mentor, and currently a managing director of a business called TMS Development International. Um, we are a, an international uh, training and development provider for a whole range of different psychometric personality tools that are used all over the world for that type of development, leadership and, and team development. Oh, fantastic. Um, mm. if, if you don't mind, as, a, as, as a, people that do listen to this podcast know, we're sort of very much around the more human sort of traits of vulnerability, awareness, inclusion, these sorts of things. But mm. just as we get going, I'm really fascinated in 2018 that I think you've only had one job from university, haven't you? <laughs> I have. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and I, I count myself... I know it's quite unusual, but I do think I've been very lucky in that. So, um, yeah, so the story goes, I was studying here in, at the University of York, studying psychology here, and, and nothing really grabbed me. Um, I, I loved the subject, but there was so much in there that kind of interested me. I, I wasn't sure what, 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 what would happen next until we got to this area of um, organisational psychology. And I, I was suddenly woken up to this this area of a study which was less about kind of strokey beard theories and actually seeing this is this is affecting people's lives and this is helping people you know in the real world um and and so that really drew me to it and and uh, so yeah one 
I remember vividly one day we did a case study on this business called TMSDI and we watched a video, a VHS it was, this is how long ago it was, Gary, um, uh, on how um, there was a particular profile that was used in the prison service to help with um, team development. And I thought, oh, this sounds really interesting. I wonder where this company's from. And um, looked them up, found they were based in the same city that I was studying in and thought, oh, wow, okay, this, this seems like a bit of a coincidence. Maybe the universe is sending me a, a signal here. I should probably look into this. And yeah, I, I, I got in touch. Um, I even offered to come and work for free. I said, please, can I, you, know, you sound like a really interesting business. Can I come and work for you? I'll give my time for free as long as I can have, get some work experience. And um, yeah, we had a discussion with the team and they, they gave me a, a job. I think at the time it was just one day a week. And then um, after a little trial, they asked me if I wanted to stay. And yeah, so 15 years later, I had all this opportunity to work with all these different, um, different types of businesses and different teams within their business, um, including, you know, I did, a bit, I did a bit of a stint in IT and, and IT support and IT sales, and then eventually landed in um, this sort of world of learning development and, and really found, found my passion there in, in developing people and, and watching others um, develop themselves. Um, so yes, yeah, spent a lot of time working in, in that arena in, as, as a team development facilitator and, and as, a, as, a, as a coach. And yes, somebody saw fit at some point to say, actually, would you like to look after the running of the business as, as, you know, in an MD role? And um, I, I'm very much the sort of person that would say, okay, yeah, bring it on and I'll figure out how on the way. That's pretty much been my <laughs> trajectory through, um, uh, through my career so far is, yeah, say yes and figure out how to do it as, as you go along. And yeah, and it's, it's been a really interesting, challenging journey so far. And yeah, and um, there's, there's still an awful lot of, of uh, uh, that's, that's on the journey to come, I can see. Mm. I, I love it though. Look, it's such an interesting like trajectory that you that you've had though because there's a couple of so what you've done in essence and we sort of come on to this job crafting idea i don't know if you sort of follow mm. the work of um, the likes of rob baker and um, richard yes. cooper and you're a living breathing example of that actually because i find it really fascinating that in this current time of you know millennials everyone's going to stay in one job for three years etc um mm. the fact you've managed to chart the course you have looking at your history, you know, you've not just done one thing for 15 years, have you? And I think this seems to be the, the key point. Yeah. And, and I think, um, whilst on paper I have worked, I've been employed by the same company for 15 years in those 15 years, I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, so many different types of organizations all over the world, you know, I've done, done um, quite a lot of international travel work with kind of global corporates as well as, you know, um, consultancy you know small consultancy businesses and everything in between and I think that's been a real privilege and and yeah I think that job crafting link is a really good one I remember um remember listening to Rob's podcast very early on in in the um you know in the series and it is it I I do I do think I've I've been a um I've had that experience and I've I've also tried to pass that on I think that's one of the things that you know the nature of a small business is is that you can be agile enough to create and craft um, a job and purpose to fit the person and let people try things out. You know, if it doesn't work, move them into, in, and, and they're right for the business, move them into other areas and let them try other areas out as well. And, it, and it's amazing how many surprises you can, you can find of somebody who just has a little glimmer of interest in one thing and letting them try it out and they'll fly. It's great. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. I, I love your... I love your approach though, take it on and then work it out on the way. That's a really, really fascinating because on one hand, some people would look at it and go, oh my God, God Mark's a blagger, that's amazing. But on the other side, I would see it far more as you're so passionate about what you do, you're going to grab hold of that opportunity and like make the best of it. You know, you know how, would you, how do you sort of see that sort of quandary sometimes? Again, it's yeah. like people's reality, isn't it? At the end of the day. It's it's certainly a risky uh, tactic, um, and 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 definitely it's not always paid off. You know, I have <laughs> I have found myself in situations where um, actually that enthusiasm and curiosity for wanting to try it out and wanting to figure it out along the way just hasn't worked. 
Um, uh, but most of the time it has. And I think, um, yeah, often it's just about asking for help. I think one of the, one of the things about that vulnerability is acknowledging that you're not bulletproof and you shouldn't be bulletproof and you should, you know, particularly in this kind of role, um, something I've really tried hard to, um, to communicate to the team around me is that I, I make mistakes. I fail all the time. I, um, I'm not bulletproof and I need help. Uh, and I need the support of an amazing team. And, that, and that's really the foundation of, of, of everything we do. So we, we have to put it into practice, of course, that it's, it's about the team as much as it is about the individual. Um, together we are stronger. You know, without wanting to get too cheesy about it, it, it absolutely is the case. Um, so earlier this year, um, I was very fortunate enough to become a dad, um, which has been another big milestone event <laughs> in, in life. And um, as a result of that, after returning to work after some, after some time out with the family, uh, I, I did need an awful lot of help and support, even to the extent that there were some meetings I was in. I, I was uh, aware that I wasn't entirely sure how the sentence I was just starting was about to finish because I was so tired. Um, you know, maybe I might have had two hours sleep um, cumulatively over a night and you're turning up with that level of focus was, is a struggle. And I think, it, but it is a good example of how, how, um, how leadership can be that you do need to lean on people and people, if you ask them, they, they'll very often step up and they will, they will help out in all kinds of ways. Um, if, if you're happy to just open up that vulnerability gate and say, actually, I need some help here. People always step up. Is that something you see in, as part of your delivery of your sort of psychometrics and your executive coaching that you, that you take part in and lead yourself, Mark? Is vulnerability a conversation that you're having with your clients right now? Is it something that comes up as part of the profiling mm. as a potential area of strength? Or do people see it as a weakness still, vulnerability as a, as a concept? Mm, it's a good it's a really good question i i think um and i'm going to give you a real cop-out answer which is it depends we do that we definitely do um it's a theme that comes up in a lot of conversations we have with um more so with leaders i'd say than with teams but i, I was i was thinking i was working over in norway last year with a with a large um a large team and and vulnerability was one of the themes of our discussion that we were exploring during the day and um it's, it's still quite, um, and so we looked at practical tips. I think that most people acknowledge that vulnerability is a, a quality that most contemporary teams and leaders should, should have as part of their makeup or, or feel comfortable demonstrating, but often don't have any um, practical, specific ways in which they can demonstrate it. So one of the things that we looked at was just workshopping that and say, well, in this business, what would that look like? What does vulnerability mean to you? Uh, and sure enough, uh, one of the things that came up was um, asking for help, but also asking for advice. And I, that's really stayed with me, that idea of um, advice, asking other people for advice, even if you actually know what you're asking for. Just going out of your way to ask somebody else for their advice on an issue or a decision or a topic, because it does so much in one, you know, in one question, can I ask you for advice on that or on this? Um, it tells you that you value their input. It tells them that uh, you don't have all the answers. It communicates to them that you want them to be included in your decision-making process. And there are others as well. I think that it's, as a simple thing that, that people can do to, um, to experiment with vulnerability. I think that's a, it's a really nice one, just asking somebody for, the, for their advice that you wouldn't normally ask uh, and see what happens, see what difference there is in them. God, every time I speak to someone on this podcast, Mark, these tiny little hairs go on their end at some point, and you've just done that for me just then because you've just made me see something I've not seen before, which is that, that one nugget of a question, can I please ask for your advice on something? vulnerability, awareness, inclusion, everything this podcast is about can be tapped into through that one question. That is so powerful, Mark. Mm. 
so so powerful yeah, yeah. it's it's um yeah the power and and that's i guess um that you're from from, from your audience who are coaches they they'll probably have a similar arsenal of questions those sort of there's little magic words that can cut through all these different layers of um you know self-esteem or confidence or authenticity and and that's that is one of them can i ask for your advice because it, it, it is yeah it's it's a really powerful one and, and and i don't want that to come across as it's something that you can use to manipulate people no. into conveying that you're you know you want to be vulnerable to them but you're actually not really this it's you know if you genuinely invite people's um advice it, it can it can uh, work on so many levels i think the wonderful thing about the human psyche though isn't it is if you don't do that authentically people are going to see mm. it anyway they do they do so that's, that's that's really powerful so if you were going to define vulnerability for you as mark gilroy just in the moment what what, what would that mean to you if you're going to explain it to somebody else right now Vulnerability to me means X. What, what does it look like for you, just out of interest? Mm. So, uh, uh, if any, it's a little bit easier to define what it isn't. <laughs> so maybe I'll get there eventually. Or, or so, do that. Or, or do that. As you're as you're answering the question, I had a picture in my head of one of those classic um, kind of eighty uh, style team building activities where you'd you'd have a, a group of people. Um, all stood in a, in a line behind somebody who stood on a table or a chair and they do a trust fall. And the idea is you, you, know, you, you give in to trusting your teammates that they will catch you and you fall backwards with your eyes closed. And um, I think for many people, when they, when they consider vulnerability, it's as scary as that. It's a, it, it can be a scary thing where you're actually... Um, you're jumping into the unknown with a group of people that, that should trust you, but you're not entirely sure where you are with them. So for me, that, that's not what vulnerability is about, or certainly my version of it. I think vulnerability is about um, presenting yourself in a way that feels genuine to you. So I wanted to use, I was careful of not using the word authentic there because that, that has its own connotations. And now you know, lots, of, lots of areas of research have been sort of sprung up around what does authenticity mean and, and the, some, of the, some of the challenges with being 100% authentic 100% of the time. Uh, but I think vulnerability is about letting people in to realize, yeah, you're a human being, you're not bulletproof and you're going to ask for them for some help and some support at some stage. Brilliant. No, th 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 thank you for that. And I love, I love you explaining that whole trust fall. Actually, that, that, that visual is really, it's really, really helpful actually, because trust is a major part. I think when I spoke with Helen, um, Amory on, on the first episode, she spoke about the trust equation. Yes. Um, and that's, and part of that is the whole awareness and vulnerability makes up trust. So that's a really nice reflection that actually, um, God, you got, got me all pondering all sorts of things now, to be honest. So uh, you've got to try and get me back on track, Mark. Get me back how, on how, does, how does that chime with, with, with you, Gary, and your, and your brand of vulnerability and your version of vulnerability? For me personally, it's, it, is, it is all about trust. And I think actually it's trust, but it's also listening. And when I say listening, not just listening to others, but listening to self. And I think mm. quite often... You know, the, that gut reaction that we have, that gut feeling, that's your body, that's your mind telling you something. It is mm. actually a data point. And I think sometimes we ignore that data point. And, I've, and I, so for me, the vulnerability is actually around listening and trusting, not mm. only ourselves, but those around us. And being okay with actually having a discussion with ourselves and with those around us around what that looks like. So I think it's actually that for me is, one, is actually saying that I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that, and being okay with having with leading, leaning in and having that conversation first without first checking it's safe to do so. So that's a little mm. bit for me. So the flip side of my vulnerability is, is courage. So how can we be mm. a bit more courageous in going first with things that maybe feel right to us that maybe aren't necessarily going to be right for others? Yeah. Yeah, that's lovely. And there's something in there, is, in there about... Um, 
it's determined by the group you're in about to what to what extent and, and the people that are surrounding you and that's in that situation having some sense of i guess emotional intelligence around how much of this can i drop in to this team at this time that allows me to maintain my um credibility could be one is there's a connected note there isn't there around vulnerability and credibility i i, I was um I was uh, at an event which uh, the wonderful Phil Wilcox um, delivered um, up in York a couple of years ago, and he talked about that at some length about that idea that credibility is um, something that you never entirely own. It's given to you by other people based on all kinds of things, whether you're wearing the right clothes for the business that you're in, or and if you walk into the room and suddenly announce something incredibly personal about you to a group that you've never met before, that can dial up or dial down your credibility depending on who that group are and how you do each of those things. Um, and vulnerability is another one of those factors um, that, you know, if you dial it up too much, it can have an adverse effect on credibility. Um, but dial it down, it can have a similar effect that's depending on the group that you're with. That's really, really interesting actually because and call, call out to Phil Wilcox as well. I do need to try and get him on here at some point. Um, the guys, I've seen his recent um, open mic event that he's putting out as well. So uh, anybody that's listening, do go and uh, follow Phil Wilcox on Twitter. He's a great guy. Um, that credibility, vulnerability message is actually really powerful because I think sometimes I've been, if I'm looking at reflecting myself, Mark, on my journey into this sort of space the last sort of six, six, nine months, I've been a bit impulsive in the past and I've been a little bit sort of like, vulnerability this is it you know come, come, if we can all be we can all be totally vulnerable it's going to change the world and of course as you say that's great and in the right environment that might work but actually it probably scares more people than it actually supports if you're going a little bit too hard with that and that's certainly something i've found in the earliest stages of me open up about my own journey to vulnerability around the sort of bullying you know my mental health challenge these things that i'm now talking mm. about so i think that's me stepping into my vulnerability but at the same time you need to do it in such a way as you're describing that isn't, it's not about me. No, I don't talk about these things. I'm trying to say, look at what I've had. It's actually trying to make it safe for others to have similar conversations. And I think I'm reflecting on this now from what you just described. And actually the, the difference between being vulnerable and being credible is actually a really important link, actually. And one I've not actually thought about. So thank you for that. Thank you, Phil Wilcox, for that. <laughs> Not at all. Yes, shout out to Phil. I, I, um, yeah, and, and all of these things shape our concept of self and our concept of identity. Um, so, I guess for me, ident identity is about what we think about ourselves. So the th the thoughts we have about ourselves that that can get us into difficulty sometimes or can you can help us um you know when they're overly positive or overly negative those that self-talk and that self-concept can be can be really um uh, well they shape our meaning of the world um and and wound together with that yeah we're thinking about how vulnerable we are how credible we feel we are with a particular group um can affect how we present ourselves so let, let, let's segue now, Mark, because that, that's a really cracking point. So we had a, a little chat before we came on today about mm. social media profiles and how we show up. Mm. We, we, just for those that are listening. So where, 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 we, where we in the moment went with that was, do we as individuals show up differently depending on the platform that we're engaging through at the time? So for example, for me, I'd like to think I'm pretty congruent between, say, Twitter and LinkedIn, but other people may tell me differently. I, I certainly don't post as much on Twitter, uh, sorry, on LinkedIn as I do on Twitter. So how, how does that shape up for you and how do you see that in terms of sort of congruence of sort of human being to online presence? Is that something that comes up in any of your work? Just out of interest, Mark? Um, I, th I, think it, I think it does. I think there's, um, well, there's, there's a real, uh, there's a real trend to talk about brand at the moment, isn't it? What's your brand like? What's your personal brand? Um, and, and again, like credibility, Part of that is that you can, you can, to an extent, shape how your brand is conveyed through something like social media. But at the same, same level, 
it's given to you by other people based on the content you put out there, based on the picture you choose to have as your little avatar on whatever platform you're using. And, and also the way you interact with people, that's part of your brand. So it's, it's both shaped by you and given to you by others. It's almost an equal piece. It's not entirely controlled by you. And yeah, I think, yeah, back to that idea of self and identity. Um, yeah, self-presentation. It's the way we change our behavior when we think others are watching. To con- almost to, a, to an extent to control and shape how others see us. And, and, and I think that there is a level to which um, there are some kind of unwritten rules about things like, well, use the example of Twitter and LinkedIn. There isn't a guide anywhere that says, if you're on LinkedIn, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you're on Twitter, you should be behaving slightly differently. But there, there just seem to be a difference in the way people present themselves. How do you find that? How do you, how do you perceive those two different platforms? <laughs> it's, it is funny because it's always been sort of spoken about that there's, always, there's been these unwritten rules, as you say, haven't there, that sort of the professional... Mm. Professional social media is LinkedIn, Facebook's just about your best friends. You can put all your dirty pictures on there, but that shouldn't be anywhere else. And, then you, then you can go on and hopefully there's something probably in between. So it, but it's fascinating, isn't it? Because if you look at things, all the isms, you know, sexism, racism, ageism, like the, these social media, non-rules, as it were, they're all learned behaviours. So it's come from somewhere or there's been a perception of something outside of ourselves that we conform to. So I'm really intrigued by all of this stuff because it's all learned, but it's but learned from where? It's like, and I guess because we're pack animals to some extent, we see someone else doing it, so we follow it because it seems safer to do that. I, I don't know. It's intriguing. But for me, definitely, there's a definite sort of LinkedIn is the professional website. And I think, so what about you? Yeah, I, um, so yeah, I agree. Somebody once told me LinkedIn is like your, digital business card so it should be it should, i can't remember who it was i wish i could remember um i've got a feeling it was in a some kind of marketing workshop we attended or, or like a blogging workshop something like that so your your brand on on linkedin should be as if you are handing somebody over your business card so it's got a bit about you um but mainly it's sort of a list of achievements and awards and qualifications and it started off like a CV when, when LinkedIn first arrived. It was people used to use it like their online CV. And then over time, it's kind of grown into something a bit more. It's become a, more of a networking tool where, where you, you give a bit more of, of yourself and a bit more personal information perhaps than just having a, you know, a digital version of your CV online somewhere. But there's still an aspect of that, I think, that's a bit of a hangover of, of, uh, of, um, of LinkedIn um, or LinkedIn's past. And yeah, Twitter's, Twitter's much more informal. It's much more um, dynamic. The, you know, the changes that you might make to your profile or to the way that you, um, you know, you might have days where you post tens of, you know, tens of tweets um, and days when you maybe don't check into it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly the, the conversations that I have on, on Twitter tend to be more informal and, and probably more... Um, Jovial, I guess, would be a word I'd use. It's, it's, um, yeah, I see lots of threads where people get into quite heated discussions, but also quite light-hearted discussions that aren't necessarily what you'd call business-like or corporate as a brand. Um, but at the same time, people hold back too. I used to have um, four different Twitter accounts. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I don't know why. I don't know why I did this, but um, so I I used to have a super personal Twitter account. It was just just me. I used to follow TV shows, movies. Um, I don't know comedians, people just who I wanted to hear hear about tech. A lot of tech companies. I used to used to sort of follow information on there and try and get tech news via that account. And I would tweet my personal opinion on anything from that account. Um, unedited, pretty much unfiltered. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I also used to do um, play music, kind of on the side. So I used to have a have a uh, account that was kind of for for music, the music side of me, where I'd follow musicians and I'd talk about gigs and that type of thing. Um, 
I then uh, started up our own company Twitter account. So then there was a corporate voice, which was very much about, oh, look at all these things that the company's doing. And I, I started getting that going, which I then handed over to our marketing team uh, later on down the line. And then finally, I, I decided that I needed a... Well, what happened with that account is that we'd go off to conferences and events and, and, and meetups. And I tweet from that account, but it was this almost, well, literally faceless Twitter account which had our company logo as the avatar rather than a face. And um, we got very little uh, kind of engagement with that because people just saw it as a corporate voice. Mm. So I decided to set up a business account. Well, an account that represented the business me. Mm. Um, uh, So that's the most recent one which is the that Mark Gilroy account. And, and I chose that name because rather than TMS Mark Gilroy or, um, I don't know, Teamwork or Coach Mark or anything like that, just because um, it tended to be something that people would say where people would call up the office and say, can I speak to that Mark Gilroy? Um, and it just, it's just stuck. That's it's cool. stuck in my head. I thought, oh, yeah, people do say that. There is, so there isn't, an, well, there actually, there are, there are a few Mark Gilroys. There's a Bible salesman, I think, in America who's... Um, who's called Mark Gilroy, who took the official one. I'm going to come for that one day. I'm going to come for that, that Twitter handle. Um, but yeah, so, so in the end, I ended up with these four accounts. So I was the sort of like social schizophrenia where I was trying to, oh, okay, which hat am I wearing? Wh- whose message is this? Which voice is this? Which identity is this? Um, and it, it, was, it became impossible to manage in the same way as it would, as if you were representing all those different selves in the real world and kind of walking into a room and saying, okay, who, who am I walking in as? And eventually I just realized that walking is me. So, um, yeah, so the, 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 that Mark Gilroy account ended up just being, um, a much more, um, yeah, it's not linked to the business in any way, really. It's just me. Um, and as soon as I made that change, everything kind of clicked into place. It suddenly made so much more sense about, when to tweet, who to tweet, what to tweet about, um, what to favourite, what to retweet, and it, yeah, it's it's become um, yeah a much a much easier space place to spend time. I don't know if anyone else has done that. I don't know if I'm completely unusual in the sense that I, I felt the need to put my my social self into all these little boxes in order to to feel okay about it. I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody else that did that. Um, but uh, does that make any sense, Gary? That uh, how that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, worry, worryingly, it does. <laughs> you know, you know really, the thing that's jumping out to me, though, and this is it's really fascinating, is that what, what I'm hearing or what I'm sensing is there was very much a sort of how do I need to be seen by the outside world originally, mm. which then moved to actually, I'm okay with who I am, so I'm just going to project myself out as just that Mike Gilroy, because all of yeah. these other personas are actually me anyway. So I'm actually yes. okay with me, so I'm going to project that out rather than try and be these four other things for what I think the other four things need. So it's, it's, it's a lot about just being comfortable with who we are, isn't it? I think in, in many ways. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And in the same way that I, you know, if I was turning up to a, a networking event somewhere or, or going to a, you know, learning and development conference, I'd turn up as me and I disc, you know, I would share my opinions and, and discussions. I, I, they, Maybe they would be filtered at some level, um, but it's still me. I, don't, I, I wasn't pretending to be anybody else or, um, or trying to put an unnecessary filter in place where there wasn't already one. Um, so, yes. So, yeah, the, the original account. So I, I was quite an early adopter of Twitter, that original account, which was the personal me with all the, you know, following all the tech accounts and movies and music, et cetera, and comedians. Um, just, I just deleted it because... There was no need, um, uh, and uh, yeah, I just I just found it was yeah it was too much work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, back to what you when you introduced yourself to Mark, maybe I'm just trying to sort of just trying to backtrack a little bit because you're such an early adopter and so passionate about trying things and just getting up getting on with it. Maybe you were into sort of right try that try that. Maybe it was less mm. conscious. Maybe more just oh this is the thing right now. I'm an early adopter let's try it that way or let's try it this way. And it maybe wasn't even a conscious 
I'm going to try and be four personas is more actually, this is, this is the thing right now. And I love the idea of it. Bosh, I'm going for it. And yeah. I'm going for that one as well. Or oh, they're trying it that way. I'm going to try that one as well. So maybe you absolutely. That as well. Yeah, that's a nail on, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Gary. And actually, there's a piece missing from that story, which is I joined Twitter almost as soon as it launched and didn't get it at all and just left it alone, left the account there. And then I came back to it, still didn't get it. Um, and then it was third time round, I came back to it. And I think I experienced it as part of a big TV event that was happening with a hashtag and all of these people joining in on the conversation. And that was it. I thought, oh, okay, right, that's it. Okay, so it's, this is like a, it's, it's, it's like watching, in, in, in that case, it was like watching this TV program with thousands and thousands of people in the room who are all kind of chiming in with their opinions and, and jokes and, and voices. And, and I suddenly go, ah, oh, okay, right. And then having then experienced that at a conference, at a learning development conference and seeing how, people, how you were able to actually um, almost be in several rooms at the same time because you could track how, what people were talking about and what people were capturing with buzzwords. It suddenly sort of transformed itself as a, as a, as a tool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting one. And I guess in terms of um, just coming back to your original question around why is this, why do we, why do we have this um, distinction of self that we present to the world in these different areas? Um, I think you're absolutely right in that this is a, it's an evolutionary thing. We, we are tribal beings, aren't we? And we, we find our tribes using these tools now in the same way that we do, you know, in, in the real world, um, we do so online and, and, uh, with those, with those tribes, we are either more comfortable or less comfortable sharing certain types of information or posting certain types of information or liking certain things than we would with others. I, I like that. And I'm, I like that link between also, you mentioned earlier about being genuine mm. and that tribe, you know, can we be more genuine with those that we feel more part of a tribe with? And it's, so it's, it's, it's almost different, isn't it? To authenticity to some extent, that's almost a separate discussion. We're now talking about actually, where do you belong? We're going to more belonging now. Where do you feel most, mm. where do you feel most belonging? Yeah. Therefore, you're genuine in that environment. I'm, I feel anyway. I don't know about you. Yeah, and and the challenge there, of course, which is um, what I'm still struggling with, is when you've got the ability to totally control who that tribe that you belong to online, um, there becomes a point where you've just surrounded yourself with people with the same values, same opinions. Um, this echo chamber of of um, thoughts and ideas that just constantly resonate around each other, and everyone goes, "Oh yes, I totally agree. We should do that." And we end up in situations like, you know, well, in the American uh, election, and uh, you know, our own situation here in the UK, where um, you lose out on these huge swathes of society. Uh, just because we've shut off those parts of, of the wider tribe um, that, that we're, we're now disconnected from. Oh, this, you're making me go to another part of this podcast here, Mark. You're getting me excited now, which is around actually inclusion and exclusion. Because, mm -hmm. you know, to some extent, part of that story you just described is a certain subset, rightly or wrongly, of, of society have felt excluded from the process. Mm. or they've not had a voice heard or whatever it might be. And if we take that into organizational context, so there's a big push on diversity and inclusion. The, the dial isn't moving quick enough, I would think most people would agree, in terms of the evidence is out there for diversity of thoughts, you know, mixed boards, et cetera, driving better results. You know, KPMG is showing it, Ernest Young is showing it, but it's not actually shifting that quickly mm. in terms of actually you know, bringing in people from different backgrounds, people that don't look like us to actually challenge our thinking. So I'm wondering, and this is an open question, I wonder what your thoughts are, maybe from your work. Is there still some, again, back to self, is this, is this lack of vulnerability or just fear to let other people in because it might upset the power balance for those that are already in power within an organizational setting? Does that hold back the inclusion sort of journey moving quicker forward than maybe it otherwise would do? So I appreciate there's a lot in there, but I just wonder if anything sort of jumped up for you as maybe a... Mm. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I do, I do think there is. Um, fear is, yeah, I think it's often 
when we're talking about vulnerability, that's probably a bit of a taboo. What are you afraid of? And um, I do, yeah, certainly do see this in, in my team development practice, particularly working with psychometrics, because the nice thing about having a psychometric is that you can transplant a kind of a different language into a team and have them talking about things like diversity and difference and inclusion without it being necessarily personal or um, too confrontational. Um, I remember vividly uh, a team I was working with about five or six years ago. Um, uh, for a they were, they were a large pharmaceuticals company senior team and as part of that exercise we'd done um, some psychometrics with them where we looked at amongst other things um, measuring to what extent they prefer looking into kind of lots and lots of detail tangible information versus more kind of big picture abstract information and so as a as a result we created a physical line of that in the room and sure enough I knew this beforehand because I looked at their profiles before the session there was one person in that team who stood out like a sore thumb she she was um completely different in in pretty much every way she was dressed differently the questions she was asking during the session were totally you know they were like thunderbolts coming into the room oh my gosh where did that come from they, they were fantastic fantastic questions um and just the way she handled herself in the whole whole event was it was clearly something that didn't belong in that team yeah the, the rest of the team were quite uniform and quite con conforming to this particular well as it goes in terms of the psychometric they were all very similar in terms of type and preference um there was just this one outlier and so on this exercise we got them to create a a sort of a visual spread of preference along that spectrum of how they like to look at information. And this one individual stood totally opposite end of the room to the others. And there was a comment that came back from the, the, the rest of the group who stood on the opposite end of the scale um, at the time. And uh, it was some, somebody just piped up and said, ah, can see you're over there. Give it six months. You'll be over here with us. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, it, it was almost said in jest. It was said so lightheartedly. And everybody laughed, including, you know, their colleague on the other side of the scale. And it was one of those moments. They come up every now and again as I was still taking you go, oh, I could let that go. Or I could just press on that. And let's see what, let's see what else is, let's see what else is going on there. So I said, okay, let's, can we just talk about what happened there? And we spent probably a good hour or so just unpacking just that whole interaction of what, what did they mean by that? Were you talking about the team was so similar that in order to belong to this team, it's important that you assimilate into it and, you know, and you become like us. Um, or you know, or else, essentially. That was, that was what was inferred. That's, thank you for sharing that. That's such a powerful, mm. because what I'm now seeing in my mind's eye is actually the correlate or the link of replicating that social media echo chamber into a physical team environment echo chamber, which is pretty much what we were just describing, which is actually yeah. if you don't say and feel and, you know, communicate in the same way that we do, you know, you're not going to be let in. So there's, there is, there's quite, a, quite, a, quite a sort of parallel there in what we've discussed to some extent. Yeah, and, and, and in this, yeah, those who, who sort of work with systems theory and systems thinking, you will see this, that the team behaves as a system um, and it almost has an identity of its own. You know, when you've got a group of people together and they've been working together for a while, they develop their own identity and their own self. And when something new comes into that system, very often it will either just be sort of assimilated and absorbed in and it will be, be made to look like everything else or it will be rejected um, almost like an immune system you know yeah. if, if this, this doesn't belong here we're going to fight this off until it leaves um, and that does happen sadly with teams what's really interesting is if you look at a lot of the work now around sort of agile working and you know flex working agility etc it's the complete opposite of that though and maybe what we're talking about here mark is one of the biggest challenges of our time, which is actually that the, you know, we're talking about being change averse or the system, you know, the mothership, you know, with the immune system you've just described. 
but actually what we need for the future work is totally this inclusive way of working by having these outliers being included and having a challenger network that doesn't think like you talk like you act like you you know that is what's going to help us survive as technology does the more mundane you know mm. um automated jobs that are going to you know they, they will go you know we, we, we shouldn't have human beings doing administrative work in 10 years time it makes no sense so mm. it's a really interesting sort of situation where we're at and i think this conversation for me has been really helpful mark so thanks for that around actually pinpointing a couple of these these areas where actually this team dynamic part is probably one of the most critical bits how do you help people accept challenge have debate without taking it as a threat or mm. a challenge to their status or their ego or their power you know so it's, mm. it's a really really interesting dynamic you're, you're yeah. sort of making me think about here which links us back to fear of course, so all of those, all of those different challenges can be, you know, if you if you break down something like that, it, often behind it all is is a fear of difference, um, or a fear of a loss, mm. and that fear of loss can be about the group changing, the group identity changing, um, you know, the nature of our you know team culture or the, the way that we work as a team changing, you know, any any challenge to that can be felt as a loss and, and feared in, as, as such. Really interesting, because I'm conscious that, look at it, we're up to 45, 50 minutes already. I could be on it for another three hours, Mark. So this is, <laughs> this is good news. Hopefully it's the same for the listeners. But what I really like about our discussion so far is just this distinctly human conversation now. You know, we are getting, mm. you know, yes, teams are at the end of the day made up of individuals. And back to where you started with your introduction, you know, if we can bring more of our genuine self to the team, the team will get used to us all being looking different because we're none mm. two, no two one of it, no two of us can ever be the same. So if we're allowed somehow to have a team system that allows us to sort of acknowledge and appreciate and actually love those differences that each of us bring as standard, that's what's going to shift the dial for me. I don't know how you mm. see that or if you challenge that. Or do you know what? That's lovely about what you just said there. I think um, there's a real parallel with something like. Tuckman's stages of teamwork you've got the you know the norming performing storming etc that's not in the right order but it doesn't matter but as you describe diversity there I think those are levels that you can build from so you've got the um acknowledging to start off with there's the understanding and they are different mm. actually getting to the stage where you can genuinely understand what differences there are in a team I think next up, you've got leveraging those differences and then, you know, ultimately getting to a stage where you are loving those differences, fully embracing them as something that's an integral part of the team. And those stages of, of um, diversity is something we should just be copywriting right now. <laughs> because that's... I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> Anybody that's listening to this, there's a little C inside a circle. I'm sure we had a chat about something else we said we needed to copyright about a month ago. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. There's, this, there's, there's something in this. There is something in this. I think a lot of teams get stuck at the um, acknowledging stage, particularly, I mean, and, and again, I'm talking at this from, from a psychometric provider point of view. A lot of psychometrics, the output can just be, oh, aren't we all different? And isn't that interesting? And then that's it. The conversation stops. Actually, where the power is, is where you can get beyond that and go, okay, so what does that really mean? What does it really mean that, you know, this person has a totally different way of seeing the world and we can represent that with some really good quality data and then moving that on a stage, right? So how can we leverage that difference? How can we absolutely maximize all of the diversity that's in the team and address any issues that we've got in terms of development too? Cool. It's, they, they really, and, and that's the difference between a high performing organization and an organization that's going to get left behind. I think that that, that difference in, in just moving through those levels of diversity awareness, we will see that in the years to come. The, the, oh, God. TMSDI, Gary Turner. What is this? Diversity leverage model. This is cool. Like you're li this is coming to life right now. Um, but no, it, it's, it's a huge point. It's a huge point. Because again, back to self. You know, if we're not creating the safe space, or best psychological safeties, or about you know Amy Edmondson's work. You know, if people can't bring that genuine self to the discussion, you're only going to replicate the same team dynamic. You know, you can't shift it if people can't actually challenge it. So it needs to be it needs to, it needs to be allowed to be challenged. 
or someone needs to go first back to vulnerability and challenge something and be the first to go. Mm. And that's the tough bit, I think, Mark, is actually who's prepared to do that and be the one that's going to risk the not fitting in, not belonging anymore, maybe be yeah. the one that gets moved out of the business. And I think this comes back to me a bit, actually, around purpose and values as well. So there's a lot mm. of talk about purpose as organizations, but do we as individuals know what our personal purpose and values are? Mm. Question. <laughs> a great series of questions. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so I guess there is, um, for people who work in this field of, of people development and, and learning and development, um, thinking really carefully about how do you create the conditions for that to flourish? For, for not just the one person to put their head above the parapet and say, right, I'm going to go first, but for, for everybody in a team to feel like it could be them. Um, creating the conditions for that to flourish is, is would, would, you know, that would be um, something very special indeed. Okay. Second project for you and I to work on, Mark. Perfect. It's, it's been a good, good call. Well, look, I'm really conscious of your time. So I'd like to ask you, who or what is inspiring you the most right now? Hmm. So I'm really, um, okay, I'm really inspired. I, I mentioned this earlier on, I sort of alluded to it. Um, both a geek about things like psychology, but also I'm a bit of a geek around the world of technology as well. And that's, that's been a lifelong thing, way more than 15 years. Um, so I'm, I'm particularly inspired by some of the work that's going on around um, artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of negative press around that about, you know, computers taking over, the machines are coming for us. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited by that whole field. I think, um, I, I don't think we have as much to fear as we believe we do, or as the, as the media would have us believe. Um, the more I read into this, there seems, there seems to be a bit of a movement of this idea of, um, cobots rather than robots. So, um, these machines or robots or, you know, computer programs that actually work in partnership with humans that are there to make our lives easier. And we're starting to see those integrating into our lives already with, you know, things like Amazon Alexa and, you know, having assistants that are on our wrist, you know, they're, they're ready to help us. I think that will, that, that culture shift will, will deepen and we will start to become more okay with just having relationships with uh, artificial intelligence that, that are alongside uh, you know, humans and, and, and real teams and real businesses. It's, um, that really excites me. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what that would look like. I'm also excited about what that, all of that means, um, in the sense of learning. So, um, I had to take, um, my car in for a service of the day and I happened to take my six month old with me. And the, the guy at the garage said to me, Oh, do you think you'll be bringing him here for his, for his first car? And I suddenly had this sort of moment of realization that I'm probably never going to have to teach him how to drive a car because by the time he's that kind of age, we're more than likely going to be living in a society that's where self-driving cars are a, the normality. Um, and that's quite scary in one sense because that's a, that's an experience that I had with my dad that I'll lose out on passing on. But it means that there are other things that we can learn. We don't need to worry about learning that anymore. There are other things that we can focus on. And I find that quite exciting. What a cool, very, very positive. I love that. I've got to say, I, I, I share your, I'm not so scared of it all, to be honest. I'm not so scared mm -hmm. of it. And I think I'm, I'm lucky. And again, back to our networks. So I've got like Matt, Matt O'Neill, if, if no one, if, if, you, if you're not following him already, he's brilliant. He's a futurist, but also a marketeer. He does a lot of stuff around this, looks at, um, you know, the future of work and also future of technology, these sort of things. And he, he's got a similar view. You know, at the end of the day, of course, there's going to be change. Of course, it could be disruptive. But fundamentally, we've, we've had machines during the Industrial Revolution. We'll have these machines. You know, we do create them. At the end of the day, human beings do create the machines. Okay, one could go off like iRobot and go a bit nuts. But, you know, fundamentally, we've got a lot of human beings going nuts. So, you know, it's no different <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day. I think yeah, we create, we create them in our image. Why should we be afraid of them? <laughs> what a great point. I'm, I'm looking forward to the first Mark Gil, Gilbot. 
the first gilbot's going to come out anytime soon. That that Mark that, Gilbot. <laughs> that is a scary thought. <laughs> Have you, um, have you got anything else you'd like to sort of share as, a, as we wrap up before you give your details how to contact you, Mark? Is there any sort of moments of wisdom or something else you'd like to share with people, a reflect, key reflection or something? Um, I think only the only thing I'd like to share is a thank you, Gary, for, for a really rich discussion that has gone in a direction that I wasn't expecting in the end. But in the end, we've ended up with... Um, not only an interesting piece of IP around levels of diversity, but um, a, an interesting philosophical conversation about self and identity. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening back to this as, a, as an observer <laughs> um, to, to, see, to see what else we covered. Because I think that there was discussions about the self and identity in the world of people development are always going to be helpful. Um, so... Um, you know, whether we're working around um, developing uh, individuals, leaders, managers, or whether we're working in the world of teams, we're always doing identity work. Mm. It's always going to be about identity work. And that's, I think that's something that's worth um, being mindful of when we, when we do enter into those discussions. No, great. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. So what, what, how can people reach you? What's the sort of website? Again, if you can just remind people of your Twitter handle mm. and maybe any other contact details, Mark. Sure. So the website um, for the company is tmsdi.com. Uh, I am on Twitter at thatmarkgilroy. Uh, I also blog uh, at uh, a site called snapleadership.com. Um, I'm into photography part-time, hence the snap. Um, so... Um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to reach out, get in touch about anything that we've discussed, we'd love to, um, uh, to hear, about, hear about your thoughts on self, identity, social media. You can use LinkedIn or Twitter. It's up to you. Um, uh, or even around, you know, some of the technology stuff that we finished off with there. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from anybody and, and continue the conversation. Brilliant. Well, look, you've been an absolute joy, Mark. Knew that would be the case, but uh, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, Gary. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Hi there, it's Gary Turner, your Value Through Vulnerability host, just wrapping up this awesome podcast with Mark Gilroy. Got so many takeaways uh, from this conversation, not one the idea of uh, this new business idea around the uh, inclusion ladder, but um, back to some other points was around this link between credibility and vulnerability. And I have to shout out again to Phil Wilcox here. I really like that visual of dialing up and dialing down your level of vulnerability based on the people you're around and the environment that you're in. And this actually resonates back with something that Jenny Anderson spoke about back in episode 11 of this podcast series, um, in that you, you can only really be as vulnerable as you possibly can if the environment is safe enough for you to do so. So I think that's a really, really interesting reflection around this link to credibility and vulnerability and something that's worth us all thinking about. When we spoke about social media, Mark rightly said we have to be very careful about the echo chambers that we can easily develop um, over social media. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of having a challenger network. You know, there's some great people online, um, many, many good people online. But I think it's so, so important that we don't just have the the perfect reinforcement of our messaging and our thought processes. We do need the challenger network as well. So if anybody's looking for some um, contacts um, to have as part of that challenger network, do let me know as there's, there's, there's a good few people in my own network that I feel fit the bill. I also enjoyed um, listening to, to, to Mark and how he, he's classic. If you look at the old bell curve of innovation, you know, Mark's firmly on that left-hand side as one of the early adopters. Uh, someone that really does get involved with trying new technology. You know, you gave evidence of that by having four Twitter handles at one point, um, you know, as, as one of the very early adopters to Twitter. And I found that a really interesting reflection with him. And he's also very positive about the rise of technology, um, provided we use it to aid humans rather than take over humans. I think there's also um, a f another interesting reflection for me was where we're talking about the different challenges um, that organizations have when trying to be vulnerable, for example. Quite a lot of it, as Mark referenced, was actually grounded in a fear of being challenged. And that one's very, very common um, to me. That's one that I see quite a lot. But the one that I've not reflected on or thought about so deeply is there's also a fear of loss. So, okay, a loss of control. I can see that one to some extent, but there could be a loss of a whole range of different things, whether it be status or just belonging or 
or other areas. So I'd be really interested actually to explore that potential fear of loss as one of the drivers for people being more invulnerable than maybe otherwise they could be. So yeah, there's so much in this to unpack, to be honest. And uh, this is just based on one listening or, or replay of this particular podcast. So please do do reach out. Do let uh, Mark and or myself know how you found the podcast. I'm hoping it's been insightful. I hope you found it interesting and positively challenging. And should Mark be able to help you at all, please do look at his uh, contact details in the show notes. And in, increasingly, I'm also very, very interested in supporting you as well. If my listening organization concept can be of help to you as well, you can find those, the links to that website at the bottom of the show notes as well at uh, thelisteningorganization.co.uk. So uh, wishing all of you that listen to this podcast a fantastic day or evening, depending where you are in the world. And I uh, hope to hear, hear from you and uh, that you enjoy the next podcast uh, when it comes out in a week or so time. Thanks very much for now and uh, all the best for now.